and you would hear the managers walk into the HR leader's office and and have no documentation. And their 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 statement was something to the effect of this employee's not doing a good job. I've got to get rid of them. Let's put them on a PIP. And that whole performance improvement plan is clearly a great tool used by a, a good manager for the right outcomes, which is to realign that employee's performance with the expectations of the job description and really set that employee up for success. But so oftentimes that PIP just becomes a documentation tool that's a crutch for the documentation we didn't do and maybe the hard conversations we didn't have with that employee along the way. Um, so we, we use it as kind of the final step before we turn away somebody. So that's, uh, that's one I think that we all should you know, revisit and rethink about and maybe retrain our managers on. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Inconceivable! You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. So every profession has its own vernacular, full of terminology often misunderstood and misused by those outside of the field. And often, people who know what they're talking about have to argue with people with no clue what they're talking about. And HR is no different. So joining me today to discuss oft-misused HR terminology is my good friend, Jimmy Taylor. Jimmy is the executive director of Dallas HR, a Sherm super mega chapter. Over his career, Jimmy's been a recruiter, an HR consultant, an entrepreneur. He's also past state director of Texas Sherm. After serving in volunteer roles for local Sherm chapters and uh, Texas Sherm for almost two decades, he's a fun guy, and I'm glad to say he's a great friend and a patient friend. So I'm glad to finally get you on Good Morning HR, Jimmy. Mike, I'm so glad to be with you. It's fun to be. Uh, it's fun to be included. I've been a fan of your podcast for a while. Oh, you're a liar! But I appreciate you doing it. <laughs> uh, so let's start talking by talking just about your your role at Dallas HR. You've had ED. I mean, you you've been the executive director of Dallas HR for just a few months. But before that, you were on their board of trustees. And like I said, you've been actively involved in Texas Sherm uh, for a long time. What's Dallas HR's mission and how do they accomplish that? Uh, what's your role there? And then just kind of talk about Sherm in Texas. Yeah, happy to do that, Mike. Um, you and I, I think, share a common passion for you know, volunteerism, particularly in HR associations. We've both done it for a long time. But, you know, Dallas HR, we're, we're just like the other 32 chapters around the state. Really, our, our, our formal mission is to serve our members and partners to provide, you know, great educational offering, offerings and network opportunities. But at its core, uh, and I think the reason that you and I are so passionate about the local chapter and, and uh, Texas Sherm, at its core, our, our mission really is to partner with uh, the HR practitioners who are part of the association and really help them transform and improve their career 
so that they can transform and improve the organizations they serve and the people they work with every day. And that's the thing that I think we're most passionate about is really being that that tool, that mechanism to help people transform, yeah, certainly their careers, but even more so their lives. So that's why I love it. We're, we do about 120 events a year. Um, and certainly we have our biggest event of the year coming up in Fort Worth in a few months. In October, we'll be back at Tarrant County Convention Center for HR Southwest Conference. So that's a little bit about what we do. And, and from a broader perspective with Texas Sherm, you know, it really is the same. It, the, uh, the state organization exists to support those 32 local chapters. So if you are an HR practitioner and not plugged into your local chapter, uh, personally, I believe you're, getting, you're missing a great opportunity to grow and develop your, your personal leadership skills. Yeah, I talk to a lot of people in my HR network who reach out to me and say, well, I just found out my company's getting acquired and I'm going to lose my role. Can you plug me into a network? And I'm always like, you know, now's not the time to be doing that. You should have done this three years ago when you were, you know, firmly ensconced in your profession and in your role and start building the network through your local Sherm chapter and doing those kinds of things before you need the network. I mean, certainly it can help you get the network, but you and I both know a lot of people who got their role because they met somebody at an HR, at a Sherm lunch or an HR association lunch and, you know, two years ago, and those people knew them and trusted them. And when the position came open, they said, Hey, here's a role for you. Are you interested in this? And I think, uh, that that networking is probably you can get education, especially since COVID, right? Everybody's got webinars. There's a ton of stuff on online, uh, but I, I think there's still a ton of value about being in person and asking those questions of the experts and and being in a room full of other practitioners. But I think the networking is the the most valuable thing, the most underrated valuable thing uh, that comes from being part of uh, the association. I couldn't agree with you more and. I'm sure you're the same. I talked to so many you know, senior HR leaders, and when you talk to them about their career journey and how they ended up in the role they ended up in, that, that SHRM chapter, that local leadership opportunity really factored into what they were doing and how they got there. So this is a, f a fun uh, episode. So we, uh, I posted on both the Evil HR Lady Facebook group, uh, and uh, I definitely encourage you if you're if you're on Facebook, which means you've got a certain amount of gray hair now. Uh, but if you're on Facebook, join the uh, Evil HR Facebook Evil HR Lady Facebook group because there are a lot of great discussions and a lot of experts. They've even designated me as an expert, so maybe like you say, a low bar. But uh, it's uh, there's there's a lot of good conversation there. But then also on Dallas HR's HR Connect, which is uh, the really statewide Texas, for lack of a better term, bulletin board conversation place for HR professionals who are members of uh, the 32 Sherm chapters in Texas. I posted, so, you know, the the question, what are your favorite, uh, you know, misquoted or misunderstood, misused HR terms? And got a lot of feedback, got a great list. And this is probably going to be two or three episodes before it's over, which is to get through those lists. But I started with my favorite one, at will employment. Uh, you hear that all the time. Or you hear people talk about right to work. And they mean at will. Or, they, or they, they, they're talking about at will employment. And they mean at right to work. So... I'm just going to clear that up. So maybe this will save me 15 posts in the next uh, six weeks. But right to work. 
has to do with unions. And there you got two kinds of environments, basically. You got right to work where somebody can, where an employer can have an agreement or cannot have an agreement where the state law says an employer can't have an agreement that requires individuals to be a part of the union or to subsidize union activities. And then there's not right to work, you know, forced union participation where a union and an employer can have an agreement that says that even if you don't join the union, the employer can still, you know, uh, make you pay to the union some portion of the dues that go to the representation of the individuals. And then there's at will. And everybody gets this term, you know, and I, I hear this wrong both from employees and, and employers, especially managers, supervisors. Oh, well, we're an at-will state, uh, and so we can do whatever we want to. And uh, no, you can't. Okay, at-will means that you can end somebody's employment at any time for any legal cause so there's and there's a whole list a growing list under federal law and different states laws of what are illegal reasons you know and, you know but as long as it's not prohibited by law you can end an employment arrangement as an employer you know or for no reason which is a great way to get examined by a plaintiff's attorney if you don't give them a reason yeah we're just gonna you know you don't work here anymore bye but that, you know, at will doesn't mean what I often hear. Oh, you can fire anybody at any time for any reason. There's a whole bunch of laws that prevent you from doing that. Uh, Title VII, uh, ADEA, various state laws. You know, we're in Texas, pew, pew. So we can do a lot. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that may be protected class in uh, uh, other states, but not here. Uh, but you know, that, that term at will gets overly used, I think, sometimes by managers trying to bully HR into firing somebody for whom they have no documentation. Talk about that side of it. Uh, you know, just because you can, is it a good idea, Jimmy, just to fire somebody for no reason, no explanation, no documentation? Oh, I think you're always on treacherous ground when you uh, when you do that. And, and you're right, Mike, but I have a question for you. Does that mean that I've, uh, if I've just recently been accused of discrimination or harassment, I can't use at-will employment to go terminate that person? Oh, yeah. That's uh, the person who accused you. Well, first of all, I know you well enough to know that that person is a stinking liar. <laughs> but if uh, but no, you cannot say, OK, you filed discrimination against somebody who's you know in the organization and we're going to go. That's retaliation. And that's retaliation is the number one, I think, still EEOC complaint. Uh, and so often you know, somebody files discrimination and maybe there's no underlying finding of discrimination, but the employer retaliated against that person for making that complaint or cooperating with the investigation for that complaint. Uh, and, and certainly you can't, you can't terms at will doesn't cover that. It's, uh, it's, it's a mad, mad, mad world out there. <laughs> and all the more reason to make sure you're careful with proceeding, even if you're clear under the at will, I mean, it gets to not only the legal implications of, of the actions you're taking with that employee, but beyond that, uh, which is so critical in today's culture, it really gets into the cultural applications of what's your workforce like, what's the engagement like of your employees. And, you know, so many times using uh, even the correct 
terminology and definitions and potential legal usage of, of, a, of a right like at-will employment can have horrific effects on our culture. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's wise. The question you ask is really wise that even if we could do it, you know, should we do it? Is there another alternative before we take this action? Yeah, and at least let's get our ducks in a row. Let's let's make sure we've documented. And so too many managers put up and put up and put up with poor performance, poor attendance, poor behavior. And then when the straw breaks that camel's back, they want to get rid of them right away. And never mind the fact that on their performance review six weeks ago, we, we told them ex- exceeds expectations across the board. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we've got no documentation of anything negative, but now we want to fire them. I mean, when people don't believe that they've been treated fairly and that's when they go talk to plaintiff's lawyers, right? And even if you win this lawsuit, you've lost if it gets to the point where you, where somebody's filing suit. So, and I don't, I really don't believe it's most HR people and I don't even think it's most managers, but there are the occasional leaders and organizations uh, who, you know, see the workplace as more of a, a game of, you know, squid games where they're just going around and, uh, you know, uh, oh, well, Squid Games is a pop was a popular Netflix uh, show. Jimmy during uh, Netflix is this thing where on on online you can watch TV and, and movies and stuff. So just so you really, know. But, Did yeah, just yeah, 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 it's brand that. new. But anyway, so I do think there's a lot of managers who see that see their uh, that that workplace as kind of a competitive thing where uh, you know where you know it's adversarial between management and employees. That's really old school management, and I don't think those are going to be really successful leaders, especially with uh, the latest uh, generation of employees. Uh, but uh, you know, there was a certain group of boomers at one time. I worked for a few of them over the years who who really did see that you know, had that attitude. So, what are your? Give me one of your favorite. What's one of your favorite uh, HR terms that that get, you know gets used wrong? Well, I'll tell you a couple that are really my current favorites. One of them you just alluded to talking about the manager documentation or lack thereof. You know, so many times and I did some consulting uh, uh, for a few years as well. And and you would hear managers walk into the HR leader's office and and have no documentation. And their 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 statement was something to the effect of this employee's not doing a good job. I've got to get rid of them. Let's put them on a pip. And that whole performance improvement plan is clearly a great tool used by a a good manager for the right outcomes, which is to realign that employee's performance with the expectations of the job description and really set that employee up for success. But so oftentimes that PIP just becomes a documentation tool that's a crutch for the documentation we didn't do and maybe the hard conversations we didn't have with that employee along the way. Um, so we, we use it as kind of the final step before we turn away somebody. So that's, uh, that's one I think that we all should, you know, revisit and rethink about and maybe retrain our managers on. Um, and the other one really doesn't have much legal implications, but I would, think, I would say it has kind of pretty deep implications in, in the cultures that we're building. And that's the acronym RT, RTO, return to, or I'm sorry, RTW, return to work. And we've talked a lot about that coming out of the office. We're going to have a return to work plan and here's how that's going to be executed and all that. And certainly not all organizations have used that, uh, those words, but, but I've seen it quite a few times. And what we're communicating to that remote employee is, well, you obviously weren't working when you were working from home and we're going to get back to the office. And 
So really what we ought to be saying is return to office, RTO, and not RTW. So those are two of my favorites that I see uh, misused uh, from time to time. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Recert Credits. Then select episode 58 and enter the keyword Jimmy. That's J-I-M-M-Y. And if you're looking for even more recertification credit, check out the webinars page at imperativeinfo.com. Each approved for an hour of recertification credit by both HRCI and SHRM. Three are even approved for HRCI business credit and one qualifies for ethics credit. You can access all of these webinars for free at imperativeinfo.com. And now back to my conversation with Jimmy Taylor. There's a lot of old school management. I think the whole PIP idea came, came about from organized environments originally and very structured processes where you get, you know, you have to have a verbal warning and then you get the first written warning and a second written. It's this whole construct where in under those labor agreements, it was almost impossible to get rid of a bad apple until you went through all the, the processes. And then there's, there's this expectation from employees and a lot of, you know, unfortunately a lot of managers write their pips or the their or or even their their pro, uh, processes and policies in the organization outline a progressive discipline policy that ties managers' hands. You know, a, a well-intentioned manager who's giving constant feedback. Hey, here's what here's the problem. Here's what needs to happen. Here's how we correct it. Let me help you do that, uh, and and works on it and documents it along the way and all that. And then they get to the point where they're ready to terminate somebody. Oh, well, you didn't follow our policy. And our policy requires that you fill out a form 996 and then you do this and then you go through here and, and HR and your senior vice president has to approve it. And then you go through and in all the time you've got you've got, you know, somebody spoiling the, you know, the the atmosphere, the workplace, the, you know, uh, stopping the organization from achieving its goals because they need to go. And so I think sometimes some in some environments they go too far on the pips to make the pips uh, just a set of hurdles that managers have to jump through when they're doing the right thing. And, uh, and it's, uh, and it almost guarantees that that employee gets, you know, a 30 day probationary period or 60 days or a 90 day. And the only time to ever do a 90 day PIP is when it's a competency. Okay. You're, you're not measuring up to the level of what we need you to be able to do in the job. We think you can do it. We're going to give you the mentoring, the coaching. We're going to work with you to get there. But if it's just behavior, I'm not giving you a 90-day plan about getting to work on time. You know, okay, the day starts at 8 o'clock. We have team members and clients who are depending on you to be at your desk answering phones at 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock or whatever time is, and you're going to be there. And if you don't, we're going to you know have a conversation. But very quickly, that's going to lead to a termination thing if you're not there to serve our clients or, or your team members. And we're not going to wait, give you 90 days to improve that. Yeah, agreed. And, and Mike, don't you find that the, I know you work with a, a lot of great managers and, and I have had the opportunity to do that as well. Don't you find those good managers are having those difficult conversations, the kinds of conversations that you might have during a normal PIP conversation? 
you know, regularly with employees as they're needed. They're not, they're not waiting for things to get so out of hand that there's no other recourse or course of action. They're, they're, uh, they're having those weekly conversations as, as a check-in call to make sure they're on the right path. And I, I think that's one of the things that we should all take away is what are those great managers doing that maybe these practices were well-intentioned and well-documented uh, to provide or to support that behavior, but uh, do, it, do it ahead of time. And I think that's another thing that goes back to the often mis, you know, uh, uh, maligned, I guess, uh, millennials is they want that feedback. They want that constant right. feedback. And a lot of older school managers say that, you know, they want gold stars, they want pats on the head, blah, blah, blah. But a lot of times what they want to know is they want to know what their performance is. Are they meeting expectations? What can they do to improve and, and move forward? And, and waiting for your annual, you know, your annual performance review or, you know, uh, you know, or things to get so frustrating for the manager that you hear about, you don't hear about it till then it's too late. Those, right. those, those, those are, you know, those needed and important employees will move on someplace else. If they, if, if you just lay on them all of a sudden, no, oh, yeah, you've been doing this job wrong for the last three months. And, uh, I've seen it every day and I'm not, I haven't said a word to you about it. Yeah. I know, I know this is probably not on your list, but uh, in today's environment, do you believe an annual performance review is an obsolete oh. uh, item? If anybody is listening to this podcast for very long, they know I hate, and we've, we got rid of them a long time ago in our organization. Everybody in, has numbers in our organization. And on a daily basis, uh, most of my operations, all my operations people, when they walk in, they have an email that tells what their, their productivity and their quality was the day before. And... And, it, and, you know, they know exactly where they stand. They know what the standards are. And uh, there's and then on a weekly basis, they get in, you know, we use uh, additional PTO as an incentive. So if somebody hits their, their goal for the week, uh, they get an extra, I want to say, two or three hours of PTO added to their bank. And, um, it, uh, you know, that's as a, just a recognition that they're doing it. And if somebody two or three weeks in a row isn't hitting their goals, they're definitely having a, a, a conversation with management about, you know, you can you have an off week or two, but when we get when we see a consistent pattern of being underperforming, we're going to have a conversation and say, hey, so what's going on? What do you need from us? You know, what retrain, you know, we're seeing this consistent pattern in, uh, in the errors you're making. So let's do some retraining or whatever. And often it's happened, that has even happened casually between their peers because, uh, uh, you know, everybody sees everybody's work in our organization a lot and we, and there's a lot of peer review work. And so they're getting feedback, but, but waiting until, you know, an annual performance review is just, you know, ridiculous. Everybody, you know, I think everybody ought to know where they stand all the time. There should be no surprises. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And you think about it, it's almost cruel. It's almost cruel to leave an employee in suspense for 12 months or 10 months until the annual performance review. I mean, how, how uh, uh, upsetting and, and maybe unmotivating is that type of behavior? And it's hard. Managers are busy. It's hard to take that time to stop and do just what you said. But boy, I, I'm sure you found out it pays off in spades with your employees in terms of the quality of the work they do. And if you're going to be a leader, that's your job. Um, yeah. You know, that's, uh, and I'd say, you know, I, I wrote that blog for Texas Sherm last year uh, about we got it. We need to take the term manager off people's titles. And, and I, it's, 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 you know, I, I don't want to use the term manager, but I still use it a lot out of reflex, but 
you can manage processes, you can manage material, you can manage computer code, you can manage a lot of things, but trying to manage people, people are a hot mess. You're not going to manage people any more than you're going to manage a bunch of chickens running loose in the farmyard. Uh, there's just, you know, you're not going to corral people. You're not going to manage. We come to work every day differently, you know, and we have different experiences. People have different pressures. A leader understands those things, helps people succeed in, in our domain, in the work domain, uh, despite those issues outside or helps people find the resources to even help with their outside issues. But, uh, that's not managing people that, you know, you can manage, okay, here's what the outcomes we're looking towards and, and what we need to plan for and all of that. But when it comes to people, we, they need leaders. Absolutely. Yeah. You're, uh, you're, you're singing my tune. You know how much I like uh, a CEO by the name of Bob Chapman. Yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he's CEO of an organization in St. Louis, uh, Barry Waymiller. Great company, incredible organization, very transformative. And he wrote Everybody Matters. Is that, that's, he wrote, yeah, he, that's yeah, he wrote Everybody yeah. Matters. But I had an opportunity to spend a few minutes in his office a couple of years ago. And, uh, and, and I'm like you, I try not to use that manager term, but we default to it because we've used it our entire career. And uh, I, I probably five minutes into the conversation, I, I used the term manager, and he immediately stopped me. He said, I'm sorry, but we don't, we don't let people in our, in our offices use that term. Yeah, they're they're leaders, uh, but we don't have managers. Nobody wants to be managed, and it's so true. You can manage outcomes and processes, but you can't really manage people. You can only lead them. So let's talk about another thing that man another term managers like to use, and I'm talking this time about managers usually um, instead of leaders. But insubordination. In uh, uh, well, he was insubordinate, and we're going to terminate him because insubordination is a violation of our policy. And then you start talking to him about. What does insubordination mean? What do you mean by that? Well, he he wasn't cheerful when he greeted me this morning, <laughs> or I gave him this assignment and he didn't kiss my shoes, or you know, for for giving him this great assignment. And you get down to it, and often, okay, so this person doesn't love you, you know, and or this person, you know, they're doing their job, their performance is where you want it, and so when you're talking to and you've done a ton of consulting. When you're talking about insubordination, what's the what's your go-to definition for for that when it's actual insubordination that, that the company needs to take action on? Oh, I, I'd go to HR Connect to get the definition, but really, it's <laughs> it's just an unwillingness to to follow a, a leader's directions when they know what's clearly being expected of them, or or you know, it's it's uh, using maybe inappropriate language in the workplace, or certainly maybe confronting a, a manager in a, in a team meeting or, or uh, doing something that's clearly disruptive. Uh, and that's what I consider to be insubordination. Yeah, your, your example of what's not insubordination is, is good. I mean, sometimes we, we, we think, oh, they're, they're questioning my ethics and so they're being insubordinate. There's a whole host of things that employees can and probably should do that aren't insubordination that sometimes we think they are. But, uh, but that's probably my working definition is just really uh, exhibiting behaviors that are clearly inappropriate for the workplace, uh, either through the words or, or actions or, or deeds, storming out of a meeting or things that, uh, you know, yeah, clearly we can't, we can't uh, condone. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of times where, Managers take things personally. Uh, 
I mean, we're people, right? And and leaders will sometimes, you know, take it personally if somebody disagrees with them. And sometimes, you know, some of our employees aren't always the, the most tactful. And it'll be not the right time to bring something up uh, in the right in a certain meeting or in front of certain customers or uh, stakeholders, and um, and sometimes people do that out of motives other than the best interest of the everybody involved. And but the first step ought to be okay. Step away from this and let's just examine the reality and the what's the truth and what they're doing and what they're saying. Let's let's acknowledge that if it's there. And then let's talk to them, have this conversation about the right place, the right time, how to approach this. And, uh, and, and you know, but off, so often when I hear that term insubordination, it has more to do with, you know, this manager got his feelings hurt or he didn't get the respect he felt like he owed, he was owed. And, uh, and so it's, uh, it's, you know, just more on a personal level. Do you, do you do you find areas you find leaders who uh, want to terminate for insubordination? Do you, do you find that they're they're on rocky ground? Well, it depends on what the insubordination is. I mean, if it's really blatant, like you know, if um, you know, there's there's certain behavior. I mean, I wouldn't. I would. And it, it, me personally, an employee can say whatever they want to me. Often, I mean, you know, it's uh, I've. Um, you know, and they can push back. I want my employees to push back because I'm a, I'm a straight to intuition guy. I'm a quick, quick start, make quick decisions, follow my intuition. And I, and it works for me about 90% of the time, but the other 10%, it can be phenomenally hurtful and bad for the organization. And so I need, I've surrounded myself with people who I've coached to push back and, uh, and I want them to, but you know, if somebody, you know, if somebody, calls their, you know, in the middle of a manager, in the middle of a meeting, calls their manager an SOB, takes something really personal, gets up and storms out of the room and causes a big ruckus, maybe depending on the circumstances. And you're never, you're not ever supposed to say this, but the overall value of that employee to the organization, let's, you know, maybe that is a termination. Maybe this is a relatively new employee. And at this point, this behavior suggests to us, we don't want to invest a lot more into this employee to make them successful. I think that's fine. That doesn't, I don't think that's a giant problem, but I think where a manager is taking something personal versus just saying, this isn't how we, this isn't living up to our values. And this isn't in alignment with, uh, you know, the way we as an organization do business. I think it's fine to terminate somebody for the behavior. Um, but I, I think just calling it insubordination, call it whatever you want to. Let's get into the details and let's talk about the specific behaviors that cause the problem. And, but again, sometimes there's some truth in some of that. And sometimes those things have been building up, just like managers let things build up with employees. Employees who often, especially in organizations that don't have great culture, do feel disempowered or less empowered than their management to speak up or to express concerns. And things do build and build and build. And then boom, this employee loses their, you know, their crap in the middle of a meeting and, and acts out inappropriately. Maybe sometimes we need to say, you know what, I understand how that built up. And so, and coach the employee, here's what you need to do in the future. When, when this, when you start feeling these pressures, let's have these conversations, but also talk to the manager. You've got to create a, in your organization, you've got to go from manager to leader and build an, you know, build an environment where people can move forward. And so, you know, this, when we use a catch all phrase, like insubordination, I think we kind of, uh, 
uh, aren't necessarily being, uh, we're shortcutting it a little bit. Right. I would agree. Give me your last favorite one. We're out of, almost out of time, but I want to, I want to give me your last favorite one. Oh, my last favorite one. Um, oh gosh. Let's see. How about retaliation in the workplace? Yeah. Tell, tell. Every time. Yeah. Every time I don't get what I want in the organization, it's retaliation. They're retaliating. If, if uh, I asked for next Friday off and somebody says, sorry, John and Susie both have Friday off and we really need, you know, need you to be here. If it's, you know, if it's, you know, if it's at all you know possible because we need to serve our customers and our, uh, uh, and, and other stakeholders. And so, I, you know, we just, sorry, they got the time off before, you, you know, they requested it before you did and we need you here. Oh, it's retaliation. And you say, well, retaliation for what? For me asking off. And so, you know, I, you know, I'm using my, I'm trying to use my benefits. Uh, <laughs> we, I just, I just got into a, a bit of a dust up on, and I spend too much time probably on, on the internet, but a bit, bit, a bit of a dust up on a uh, HR forum with someone who's talking about, professionals do not need to request their PT to use their PTO. And I'm like, people who don't request to use their PTO are called unemployed people. Unemployed people don't have to request to use their PTO, but everybody else, professionals have to talk to their peers, they have to talk to the team. You've got to talk to the, you know, you know, you're, if you want to plan this time off, that's great. And I want my employees to use their PTO as much as, you know, I want to, I don't want people carrying giant banks of PTO. I want them to use it. That's why it's there. But, you got to coordinate it with the rest of your team. You got to plan this stuff. And, uh, and it's not retaliation if a manager tells you no. And, and I hear retaliation a lot. Uh, I did a big investigation for a, a large local employer a while back. And, and one of the, one of the things that kept coming up in the complaint was retaliation. And you start going through it and then I, you know, it's retaliation, retaliation, but they are not saying retaliation for what. And so I sit down to interview the complainant and I said, so explain the retaliation piece of this. And the retaliation was, well, they don't like me and they're retaliating because they don't like me. And I'm like, well, that's not, I don't, you know, again, you keep using that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. And, uh, and so they, uh, you know, and so, and in that case, we there was nothing illegal going on that I found in the employer. No violations of Title VII, like that. No legal, and that's the other thing. These words have a lot of these terms have legal meanings right. and colloquial meanings. And so, you know, retaliation. Maybe they are retaliating, but if if it's not retaliation for some protected activity, for you know, you know, for participating, you know, for making a claim under Title VII or ADA or whatever. Uh, or, and, you know, it's not, if it's not retaliation for doing something that you legally, you know, it's a legally protected activity under one of the, the employment laws or civil rights laws, it ain't retaliation from a legal point of view. Just, you know, and so maybe it is, maybe the manager, maybe the manager hates, you know, uh, Teslas and you just bought a Tesla and drove it into the parking lot. And he's going to, you know, he's going to give you a hard day because, you know, he thinks Elon Musk is a horrible person. Well, he may retaliate and maybe it's bad leadership, but it ain't illegal. And, and in fact, legally, isn't it difficult to prove retaliation unless there's been a formal complaint required, even if the act was a protected activity? I yeah, if you see it. Yeah. You know, that's there's 
if you know if a man if there's a reason for a manager to believe the person is going if the, you know like the employee says I'm not comfortable with that language that you're using and I'm going to complain to HR and the manager takes action before you ever make it to HR I think that's probably retaliation right but uh, but most of the time that you need there's got to be a preceding event and you know uh, there's got to be something to point to and 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 employees like those terms. Um, yeah, you know, and you get on, you know, if you get on a lot of blogs, especially the plaintiff lawyer blogs, uh, they're they're not always real clear, uh, you know, in their marketing about what what retaliation is. They want to get you in the office, and and you might they may often plan. And I've got lots of plaintiff lawyer friends. Hi, Jim Zeta, but the uh, but you know some of the employment law uh, plaintiffs attorneys just want to get you in the office and because they know the right questions to ask. And it may not be retaliation that mm. they find, but they're going to ask about a lot of the, your employment practices. And in some employers, they're going to, you know, they may be able to find something that doesn't sound quite right and that they can, you know, they can squeeze the employer for and get a quick settlement. Yeah, it is. It is definitely a term that I hear thrown out so much, though, that that was that was retaliation. And, and I, there should be something I can do about that. And it's uh it's a pretty misused term, like some of the others we've been discussing, I think. And we've got a long list from from our source of other terms, and we're out of time. But please, in the comments, if you're looking at this on the Facebook site or on uh, goodmorninghr.com, uh, drop in your favorite terms. Uh, and so that I think this is going to end up being a series of, of episodes where I uh, talk to folks about some of these terms and we get deeper into them. But you can also plan on learning more about a lot of these topics, as well as legal updates and professional growth opportunities during the 80 sessions offered during HR Southwest, uh, October 16th through 19th, right here in Fort Worth, Texas. Even though it's Dallas HR, they bring HR Southwest to the crown of North Texas, Fort Worth. So you can come see a beautiful cow town, and uh, get a lot of CE, meet some great people. Uh, and Jimmy and I will undoubtedly buy you a drink at some point while, while you're here. There is no better place for a conference than Fort Worth, Texas. Preach. So you can learn more about HR Southwest at hrsouthwest.com. And that is all the time we've got today. But thanks a lot again, Jimmy, for joining me. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Mike. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guest at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. And rate us. Say how great this is. And if you don't like it, don't rate us. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well. Do good and keep your chin up.